0: Hey, this is Avi.
1: And this is Faria.
0: Welcome to the Manmukti Podcast, where we speak up about South Asian mental health. Hey everyone, this is Avi again. Welcome to the very first episode of the Manmukti Podcast.
2: Hey guys, this is Buddy. If this is your first time encountering anything associated with Manmukti, we just want to take a little bit of time to give you a little bit of background.
0: First things first, Manmukti translates to mental liberation. What we are is a one-stop resource for South Asians to learn about and address mental health issues with each other. But I'll let Buddy get into more of the story of how we were founded.
2: So a little more than about a year ago, on January twenty-second, 2016 to be exact... I was just called me while I was studying at the University of Oklahoma, and he talked to me about the unfortunate passing of one of his close childhood friends. Uh, and he basically outlined to me his frustration with the fact that his friend didn't really have any help. And if he had known about it, he would have helped him, you know, in a second. So he told me that he wanted to possibly get together with three other uh, people and maybe talk about starting a mental health collaborative for South Asians because the stigma is just... Unbelievable in our community.
0: So after kind of going back and forth for a few months, we had our first real meeting of uh, Manmukti on June 28th of 2016, where we kind of laid out what is it that we want to achieve in the final product, right? So we looked at the main things that we would want a website or some sort of you know, online community to have. And then we tried to basically work backwards from there. And ever since that first meeting in June 28th, we've been working slowly and slowly, diligently, you know in between classes, after work, late nights, to come up with something that would fit that final product that we' were looking for in order to really tackle this problem of stigma that Buddy mentioned.
2: Yeah, so as soon as we decided that the stigma was our thrust, or uh, Manmukti's thrust, um, we decided to contact people, maybe get in touch with uh, maybe mental health professionals, people who have experienced mental health issues, and maybe get some insight on uh, the South Asian experience with mental health. And we just got a wave of positive responses.
0: The I think the initial encouragement was so important for us to realize that this is needed in the community. There's so many people told us that... like what you're doing is good and we need it and like let's let's collaborate let's continue let's make this happen
2: and finally in february of 2017 we got our biggest uh most substantial response um after our first i guess you could call it a advertising push or press uh through an article in the daily texan that talked about us and basically what we do and the response was just so overwhelming we decided (laughs) we were going to come up with a Way to further promote the group, and we decided upon the name Social Ambassadors. Though, personally, I, want, I wanted to call them the Lavender Dragons, but I I'm, did not agree. I'm happy I
0: vetoed that one. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good decision for us. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so basically, what the Social Ambassadors do, or sorry, in my world, they're the Lavender Dragons still. But what they do, basically, is that they essentially... Take every every part of our message and try to promote it as much as possible, posting on Facebook, posting on Snapchat maybe, posting on Twitter, uh, talking to their friends about it, talking to maybe uh, universities and talking to maybe other mental health professionals that can get in touch with us. And if they want to talk about these issues, um, they can.
0: So, you know, we built this community of people who were so encouraging about what we were doing, believed in the mission. We had our team of social ambassadors who are going to help us implement the you know the reduction of stigma within their own communities by just speaking up about mental health with their with their own friends or within their organizations community centers etc so now it was really on the board to come up with a a website or a community that people can really leverage with after all this uh, encouragement so if you visit the manmukti.org website you're going to find a few avenues for people to address and learn about mental health with each other. What we're really trying to do is just normalize the conversations here about mental health, make it not so uh, taboo to talk about. So there's a few areas of the website. One is testimonials, which I think is one of the most important things that we've done at Manmukti is to take the personal experiences of those in the South Asian community who've dealt with mental health in some sort of manner, uh, And just let them speak up about it. Whatever they want to say, however they want to tell their story, we let people just write about it or record it in an interview with us uh, through things like this podcast series. We also have research that people on our team have compiled in order to just let you know what's going on in regards to the mental health community for South Asians from a scientific basis. What are the findings recently in terms of how we seek treatment how does stigma actually affect people in research studies, etc.? We also have a forum so people can connect with each other and speak about these issues on a one on one basis on our website. In addition, one of the most important things we have is just background education on what are the different types of mental health conditions out there, what are the basic treatment options, so that we get people, again, To normalize these things, right? Once you start to use education to break down people's ignorance about the issues, then you can really start to have conversations about them. And finally, on our website, we have a list of resources that people can use if they need to take action about their mental health, or again, if they just like to learn more about what's out there. So we have links to other South Asian mental health organizations like ours. We have links to South Asian mental health providers that have listed their information online. For those who might want to seek help with someone of their own community. And finally, we have national mental health associations as well as general suicide prevention links or uh, depression prevention links, things like that. So that people can, again, take action if they want to about their mental health and learn a bit more from a more professional perspective. We also have included just a few fun resources just for stress busting purposes. Uh, my personal favorite is probably the one that generates different types of platypus memes. I'd highly recommend going on our site and visiting that one.
2: And you guys just might encounter tons of lavender platypuses.
0: Platypie. Right, I'm platypi. pretty sure it's platypie.
2: What? what platypie, my
0: bad. What's with the lavender and the animals? What is that lavender liberates? Mental liberation. You're the one who started this site, my friend. Munmukti, <laughs> mental
2: liberation lavender liberates. There you go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's all, folks.
0: (laughs) Actually, you know what? I just realized they were manatees, not platypus, and they're definitely gray. Anyway, guys, (laughs) we just want to make clear that all the things that we've talked about today in terms of the response to our project as well as what the site is going to entail, none of that would be possible without the board and the hard work put in by so many people on the team. In the early days, it was me buddy, my friend Shamus, and my friend Karthik.
2: And as Abhijit, Shamis Karthik, and I got more serious about getting a more organizational structure to deal with everything that we had to do or, you know, get together a board like Abhijit mentioned, um, we decided to just carry people along the way. And uh, soon we got Dvani on board for website design. Uh, then we got Silesh and Abbe for testimonials. And then we got Faria for our marketing purposes. And then finally, we added, uh, last but not least, Dariba for our PR purposes. And yeah, guys, that's a little bit of our background. We just want to take our last moments to thank everybody who encouraged us along the way in this, uh, who made us believe that this was necessary. And we want to thank everyone and anyone who's listening, who's tuning in right now, and helping us reduce the stigma in the South Asian community.
0: And I just want to reiterate to everyone that this was started because I lost a childhood best friend to mental health issues. Because he couldn't speak up about what he was going through, I don't want that to have to happen to anyone else. And we, as the Board of Manmukti, want everyone to be able to speak up about mental health in the South Asian community.
2: And with that, let's get on to our first interview.
1: In this episode, we have Abi Ravi Nudla and Faria Akram speaking with Mega Pulianda. Mega is currently pursuing her PhD in counseling psychology at Texas Women's University and working as a licensed professional counselor intern at the Montfort Group in Plano, Texas. We'll learn from Megha about what she wishes millennials knew about therapy and some of the common myths about therapy that she'd like to dispel. We'll also hear about her own personal interest and experience in mental health and her thoughts on stigma in the South Asian community. Let's start by meeting Megha.
3: Hey Megha, so thanks so much for uh, joining us today on this call and we're really looking forward to hearing more from you about uh, your own experience with mental health, as well as uh, the work you do in therapy and other things. So if you could just kind of get us started by giving a little intro about uh, who you are and what you do.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, this is something I'm really passionate about, and I'm really excited to be participating in this. Um, yeah, to give a little intro about who I am and what I do, Um as you know, I'm Mega Mega Ponienda. Um, I'm an LPC intern, which means I'm a licensed professional counselor intern, um, and I work at the Montfort Group, which is a private practice located in Plano, Texas. Um, just to speak to that for a moment, um, I'm kind of working on my last leg of my licensure. So I'm independently seeing clients, but I'm still being supervised, um, and I'm actually supervised by my boss, Corey Montfort, uh, at the Montfort And it's kind of nice. I like to explain to clients that it's like getting two for the price of one. So it's this beautiful part of our field that we really transition counselors out into the field um, after a lot of supervised work so that we can get our own questions, concerns met along the way and really provide quality care. Um, and I'm also currently working on my doctorate in counseling psychology at Texas. So um, I've got that going on as well. So I think it's fair to say that I'm I'm really passionate um, and committed to this work.
3: That's great. And it sounds like a a very busy schedule. Um, So (laughs) how did you exactly become passionate about mental health in the first place? And you kind of decide to make a a career out of it. Have you had your own personal experiences, maybe struggling with mental health issues or... You know, it, overcoming them in some sort of manner.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, um, definitely a, a couple answers to that question. Um, firstly, I think I wanted to be the the good Indian kid who went to medical school. I'm sure, like no one's ever heard of that before, right?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. <but> <laughs> I,
4: <laughs> uh, no one does. But I um, I went to college um, and I was like, you know, I I enjoy psychology, but I think i on psychiatry. I to be a psychiatrist. I'm going to go that path. And I mean, I when I say I bombed, I mean, like, I, like, questioned my ability to, like, be a student my first year of college, and I realized that I just wasn't really focusing on my own skills, um, my own aptitudes. Um, I was trying to be someone I, I wasn't, um, and it wasn't making me happy, so I kind of started doing some more neuroscience research, and I loved it, and I really thought that's what I would continue with. What happened was I started volunteering at a domestic violence hotline because, you know, you need those volunteering hours when you're building your resume. So I wish I could say my reasoning was much more noble than that, but it really wasn't in the beginning. Um, okay. And I found myself feeling really, yeah, yeah, like, let's be honest. But I found myself feeling so deeply connected to the callers and the work, um, just offering resources, offering tools, and offering just a voice and support and encouragement I started to think, you know, this might be where my passion really is, um, you know, more on that mental health side of psychology. Kind of with that, um, I really did have my own personal struggles with mental health. Um, I had been struggling with depression since pretty early on in adolescence, and I had actually gone to therapy myself. But in our culture, we just don't really talk about it very much in, in my family of origin, I felt like my parents were giving, giving me as much support as they could, but it wasn't something that we really spoke about very openly. Um, so I kind of went on both an academic and professional, but also really personal journey to accept that this is where I, I needed to be. Um, and I, I never really turned back from that point. It was kind of a winding path, but um, I've been working toward mental health and advocating for mental health issues ever since. So okay, that's kind great. of where I am now. Yeah. And
3: you're, you've kind of, I guess, um, went along this path towards uh, a focus on therapy and uh, helping people kind of seek counseling, things like that. How did, how did you come to uh, that decision? Was it through that domestic violence hotline that you participated in? That you wanted to do that kind of work and continue it or was there something else that kind of um, inspired that within you?
4: Um, I think that was a big part of it early on. Um, I didn't really know what that path would look like, but I started taking some coursework um, after I started that that volunteering position, and I thought, you know, like, I just want to check this out. I just want to see, it, you know, is this, this like, hokey thing that I believe it to be, or is there a real science and practice behind it? And it has never ceased to surprise me just how intentional this process really is, and how much goes into therapy. Um, I'd been on the other side of the the couch, so to speak, kind of receiving services, but what it was doing for me and what it was really like from the therapist's perspective, I just couldn't even begin to wrap my head around. Um, So I took um, some coursework, and then when I left uh, my undergrad, I got my master's in counseling, and that was a big game changer for me that's when I realized like this is what I have to do um, psychotherapy is something that I feel really really passionate about
3: okay got it that makes sense um, I, and I I guess I kind of want to naturally segue here into um, I know that you have written before about uh, the need for millennials to kind of seek therapy and to not uh, to not stigmatize it to um, kind of look past the common misunderstandings about therapy things like that so uh, yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more from you about the, kind of what do you wish that millennials or I guess the younger generation in general kind of knew about, knew about therapy that they probably don't know?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, firstly, I think that a lot of people believe that today's culture is one that supports a lot of victimization, that we a lot of us feel really sorry for ourselves, that we're unable to cope. And I do believe that we don't encourage as much distress tolerance or resiliency as we should. But I don't think we ever have. As a society, I don't think we've ever encouraged really healthy coping skills for distress, pain, loss, with heartache, um, with depression, with anxiety. Um, I mean, if you think about it, even for – in this kind of gendered way, men have always been taught to suppress emotions that show any kind of feeling is very weak unless it's anger. Um, And for women, um, you know, if you are assertive, you are kind of an anomaly, like you are supposed to be very polite and just very level-headed constantly. So we've never really promoted this openness toward dealing with mental health. And I think that we have to look at therapy as a really um, great tool rather than a crutch. So what I want millennials to know is that therapy can really teach you effective tools um, and effective skills for managing your mental health and for promoting your own self-care. Um, if you are sick, you go to the doctor. If your business is in trouble, you bring a consultant. This is very much the same way. Um, and I think there's a myth, just to kind of speak to your other question, that therapy is sort of this, like, you lay on the couch and you just kind of reassociate, you just, you talk, and there's a guy who's typically white with, like, you know, scraggly white hair sitting across from you taking notes, and that's not how the process is anymore. It's very collaborative. Um, it's it's very supportive, and it encourages a lot of insight um, and it's a really grounded in reality. You know, the idea of therapy is so that you leave with concrete tools, and skills. Um, so I, I want millennials to know that it's not really like it is on TV. That it is something worth considering, and that if there is a time to go, it's now.
3: Okay, and you kind of mentioned how uh, you know things things are changing in in the therapy field. You know, it's not the it's not the guy with the scraggle here. I, I love that image, by the way. Um, <laughs> but how uh, how do you think that you know, technology or globalization or any other recent trends have really kind of shifted the face of therapy or how people access therapy?
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really great question. Um, and it brings up even a debate that is really heated in our field right now. Um, and and I think, you know, to be completely honest, even I am in my own process of wrapping my head around what the implications are um, in terms of what that looks like for our field um, and for the work we do. I will say that even something like Skype has improved access to mental health resources um, because our, our society is completely transformed. I mean, we are very much on the move. Um, I have clients who, uh, you know, are in school far away but still want to continue working with me because we have a built-up trust and rapport and they don't necessarily <laughs> want to start over with someone else. And even something as simple as a video chat um, allows us to maintain our session. So I think it adds a lot of, of great um, great things to the work that we do, but there is sort of this human interaction and connection that's required. So um, I think, it, you know, it's true that things are changing and where that will go, um, you know, who knows. But as long as technology is making mental health resources more accessible for people, I feel really enthusiastic about it.
3: Got it. And you know, before, we, before we move on to another topic, I, I kind of want to brag about you a little bit here because uh, I know that you've been you know, published in, online in some magazines and stuff for an article you wrote recently about you kind know, of the five uh, millennial myths about therapy. Uh, would, you, <laughs> would you mind kind of taking us through that a little bit and you know, kind talking of talking about those myths?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I spoke to to one of those, which is just related to what therapy is actually like. Um, I think people think that it's it's just sort of this inactive process, and it's really not. Um, it's super collaborative, and you get to be an active participant in your own mental health and your own your own wellness, which I think is really great. Um, one thing that I did talk about was also the pricing. Um, I think people believe that therapy has to be an expensive commitment, and it's, it really doesn't have to be. Um, I think a lot of students overlook the services offered to them even at their colleges. Um, for example, most, you know, universities have uh, counseling clinics in-house where you can go in and you can have, like, six sessions, 12 sessions. It really depends. I know it TWU students have 12 sessions built into their fees, which is incredible. I mean, that is such a great resource. Um, I think another thing would be group therapy is a cheaper option um, most of the time and still a really great way to build that support. Um, So I think a a big thing is the pricing. Um, I think people also think that relationship therapy isn't going to be an issue for them but really, if there is a time to, you know, evaluate your own dating process and figure out what kind of relationship you want, it's now. You know, it's before you've already committed to a relationship that is not right for you. Um, so I think coming in to talk about healthy relationships and boundaries, what all of that may looks like for you is really important. Um, I think another thing people think is that their personalities are, are already set. And while, you know, that might be true, um, your habits can certainly change and your behaviors can change. And if there is a time to work on that, it's now, you know, while you're in your early 20s um, before some of your worst habits are totally solidified. So I, I think there there are kind of a lot of myths that people really buy into, but they're they're just not true. There's so much opportunity for change, and there are resources out there that look. Got it,
3: yeah. Um, I think the... You know, I think the idea about the relationship uh, advice and seeking that is is very interesting. It's it's probably something that I need, um, but that's a topic for another podcast, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um,
4: don't we all, don't we all? Yeah, Um, yeah. Um, I think one other thing um, that I want to emphasize is that I think people believe that you have to go to therapy for something extreme. And, um, you know, I just want to say that you can come in and get another perspective for any reason if you're feeling like you're just not feeling like yourself or you're feeling off um i think we have this idea of therapy is only for people who are are really really struggling but it's it's such a subjective experience you know what one person you know one person's struggle could be someone's like you know nothing but it really doesn't matter because what's most important is how it's impacting your day to day functioning, and if you feel like you're not living your life the way you want to, it's always worth getting um you know getting another perspective on that so
3: yeah, and I think that actually you know kind of really speaks to one of the main things that one you know, is trying to address is the you know the fact that people are kind of uh, reluctant to speak up about you know the need for therapy or reluctant to uh, you know, that, do that initial act of seeking help within our community, right? Um, because of you know, stigma and uh, how it's kind of pervasive in the South Asian community. So, um, you know, I'll let I'll yeah. let Faria kind of talk to that a little bit.
1: Great. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say I'm really glad you brought that up actually because I was kind of bring that up as a transition from you know what we're talking about to our next topic, which is about stigma. Um, because mm-hmm. so I've, I've been vocal about mental health in different communities for almost a year now, and a lot of what I hear from people is just their perception um, is that, you know, like you said, like lying on the couch or like a doctor giving you meds, you know, Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to uh, hear from you and have you talk a little bit about, you know, the difference um, in like, you know, the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, you know, and like, some maybe basic options for therapy, just because I feel like, I mean, I'm not, obviously you're not, wooden, you know, diagnose anyone, but I just feel like everyone has that, or a lot of people have that perception that it's, you know, you go to a doctor and you get meds because you're, you know, quote unquote crazy. Um, and mm. while, you know, medication is a great treatment option for some people, therapy itself, you know, covers a wide range of options. That is just focusing on, you know, making you a, as a better, like, person, and, you know, so that you can live your life to the best it can be. So if you feel comfortable talking a bit on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really um, I really
4: appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of people do have a mis- misconception about um, what psychology even involves or what psychological services even involve. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think you're right. There are so many different professionals you can go to. And I think, honestly, it can be really overwhelming because, like, you see all of these, like, letters after the professional – Professional name, and you're like, what does that mean? Um, but for a psychiatrist, um, a psychiatrist is someone who is medically trained and can uh, prescribe medication. And um, a psychologist is someone who has received their doctorate but focuses more on functioning um, and still has a lot of background in kind of the neurological, um, that whole arena. But we, as psychologists, do not prescribe medications. We do have a lot of training in diagnosing, though. And um, we also are trained in psychological assessments, So that can aid both the therapy process and diagnosing to make sure that we're getting people the right kind of tools and help that they need. Um, a psychotherapist is someone who has um, at least a master's degree in counseling. Um, and they can provide um, therapy services but cannot... Um, uh, prescribe any kind of medication either. And that can also impact just the decisions you make about what's the right fit for you. Um, If you want some kind of just support as you're going through a transition, you know, seeing a psychotherapist might be a great fit for you. But if you're experiencing a lot of suicidal thought, um, you might need some psychiatric support, some medical support with that. And we know that... um, therapeutic support with psychiatric support um, is always kind of the ideal combination
1: so that you're getting all those met. Um,
4: so, yeah, that's just kind of a little bit about who those professionals are.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I think that'll be really yeah. helpful for our listeners and just for people in general to be able to compartmentalize and clarify the different options yeah. that are available and what you can seek, you know, depending on what you're going through, or what someone you know is going through.
2: Hey guys, just a quick reminder you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. thanks for coming back you're still awesome as always we're going to end off our discussion by talking about stigma and the south asian community
1: so with you know therapy in general like um has mentioned you know Manmukti is um you know it's a kind of a community we want to create for south asians because you know within the south asian diaspora there is generally worldwide there's stigma when it comes to mental health but i think with south asians you know we have our own I don't want to say maybe increased stigma or a different kind, but you know, just we have our own struggle in, you know, trying to approach the idea of therapy and whatnot. So I wanted to ask you, um, how do you think South Asians can approach regular therapy when we have so much stigma in our community, unfortunately, surrounding the idea of seeking help?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess just to clarify, are you wondering what we can do or maybe why the stigma
1: exists? More of what we can do. Okay. Yeah.
4: So I think talking about it is definitely more the direction that we need to go in. And I think on kind of a different side, I think more mental health professionals need to be trained in this, the cultural nuances of this community. Um, our community reacts to certain things and stigmas are created for a reason. And I think a lot of people feel that they're not going to be understood in therapy, and part of that is based in reality. So I think that we need to be advocating as a community for what we need in mental health, for what's important to us, um, for what we, um, you know, what makes the most sense for us. Um, and I think talking about mental health concerns and being open to it is is a big part of that. And I think that our generation as Indian Americans who have maybe grown up here, um, I think that we can be that, the generation to kind of close that gap. Um, and I feel really hopeful and encouraged just seeing even more South Asians coming in for therapy, but I definitely think that we need more openness and we need to be honest about the issues that we are experiencing and what we're struggling with.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree more. And with that, some people, you know, still have a hard time seeking services or, you know, because of the stigma and because of a variety of reasons. So I wanted to ask if you knew, are there any discreet ways um, for individuals to seek help for themselves um, if they're not, you know, at the point of being comfortable, you know, voicing it out on their own yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
4: So I think another myth just kind of on <laughs> on, on the, the same topic that we we've, we've been talking about, I think, um, I don't think enough people understand how confidential this process really is. Um, we are protected by HIPAA law, and we can't disclose information about our clients and patients um, unless, you know, under very specific circumstances. So, um, just to speak to the confidentiality piece, um, just so that even listeners can be aware of what that what the reality is, um, we cannot disclose any kind of information unless we come to find out about any kind of harm or abuse toward yourself or toward someone else, so any kind of suicidal intent um, or any kind of homicidal intent, um, We, at that point we could break confidentiality. Um, we uh, can break confidentiality if we come to suspect of any kind of abuse or neglect toward a child or elderly person or disabled person. Um, we can break confidentiality if we are receive a a subpoena that's um, court-ordered by a judge, and um, we can break confidentiality if we come to find out about any kind of um, sexual misconduct from another mental health professional. But other than that, I mean, it is a very discreet process, and, um, you know, coming to counseling is very private. So um, just coming to therapy alone can be very discreet, and it doesn't have to be talked about to anybody um, you know, unless you decide that with your therapist.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. No, definitely, for sure. And now you've touched upon this, um, you know, about us. You speak out about the stigma and about, you know, mental health, and that's a big part of my, you know, that's why we're, we're doing what we're doing so that we can help to fully, you know, defeat the stigma and make people more aware. Are there any other mm-hmm. steps that you think take as a South community to, you know, get towards defeating the stigma surrounding mental health? I
4: think one area that we need to improve upon is research, because I think that will kind of feed into the um, psychology community about what our needs are. Um, For example, I'm trying to do a little research on um, emerging adults, so young adults um, of South Asian descent, um, and attitudes toward relationships. So I think even things like that, just promoting more research, um, can be a big step. And I I really believe that being out there in the community, talking about our own individual experiences really normalizes it for everyone else. So being willing to speak up about your story, um, um, about your own battles with mental health, um, your own concerns, your own worries, um, I think that would be just encouraging for people who don't feel like they have a voice. Um, So that's something that I would really love to, to see more of, and that's why I'm excited about the work that you guys are doing
1: definitely. Thank you so much. And we're also very, you know, to have you on board because that's something we really Thank wish you. for as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Sorry, Mega. Well, um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day today. And uh, yeah. I would ask all of our listeners to look you up online, Mega Pulianda. She has lots of things published and you can always uh, <laughs> go to her for help. If you'd like uh, maybe to schedule uh, a session with you or something like that. Is, is that correct? Can people reach out to you, even if they're not in Dallas for things like that?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
3: Okay, great. Well, um, thanks so much again, and uh, we love talking to you.
4: Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great day, and I, I really appreciate being able to speak about this with you.
1: I, I love the work that you're doing. So. Thank you so much for giving us your time.
2: Thank you. Hey guys, if we could take a moment to ask for just a little bit more of your time and love to rate our podcast on iTunes or shoot us a review, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and if you want to continue the conversation, visit our website at manmukti.org or connect with us on social media. See you next time.